what would happen if we had the audacity, the courage, the boldness, and the presence to lean into our edges and to grow from our core? See, in a world shaped by yesterday's leaning into tomorrow's, we find ourselves weaving possibilities in an endless constellation of opportunities. The world has shifted. And now we find ourselves in a space-time continuum where lifestyle, business, and consciousness share the same offer space as your purpose and your brand. Welcome to the Supernova Podcast. I'm your hostess, Lena Ski. This is a never-ending chronicle, a narrative really, designed to usher in those big bang shebangs and a whole lot more glimmer. Let's get astronomical. Let's really shift the needle into flow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Supernova podcast. It is amazing to have each and every single one of you here. Uh, thank you. Hello. Hey, Lena. Thanks for the invite. When that email landed in my inbox with the first Melty Nashry kind of study of these different teal companies, I was just put aside everything that I was doing that day, deadlines and all. And I'm like, this is a conversation that needs my space and my time. But I'm curious as a round of in, um, introductions, why is this a conversation that took up your space and time? I, <laughs> I think I, I like very much the very different forms of uh, self-management. And uh, I wrote my thesis at the university quite a long time ago in 87. Mm-hmm. And it was about the autonomous working groups, and uh, I was involved in organizing them, and we could achieve uh, huge uh, results uh, with uh, de- delegating lots of uh, uh, decisions to people and, and creating a real uh, self-management environment. So that is one part that I like this concept very much. Mm-hmm. The other part that I'm using uh, network analysis for years, and Thanks to Peter, I had uh, lots of clients and lots of uh, great projects. And I saw that it would be very interesting to to compare the results of the self-management organizations um, against the traditional uh, companies. Mm -hmm. And uh, Peter has a a, a huge uh, benchmark with, uh, you know, for different sizes of organization. And that's why it was very easy to, to make this survey. And so we have a benchmark of the traditional companies. And James helped me a lot because uh, he is the founder, the, I don't know which is the, the best word, the founder or perhaps different, the developer of Sociocracy uh, 2.0. And, and uh, he was able to, to invite some uh, companies into this project. And, and then I had some working hypo- hypothesis that, for example, my working hypothesis was, was that in this kind of self-management organizations, the people will be more connected than in the traditional ones. That was uh, one of the uh, hypothesis, working hypotheses. The other one was that the information sharing will be more intensive in the um, sociocracy uh, firms contra traditional firms. The third was about the, the, the opinion leadership, that, that how many people's opinion content and height is taken into account that, again, this kind of new way of working will provide a much, much better environment for that. 
and the, the four, and before some was a bad de novo transfer. Then again, it will be much better in the <clears throat> in this kind of companies. <clears throat> Sorry, and and uh, the last one was that uh, this kind of appreciating each other. So mm -hmm. it will be a much higher level in the sociocratic uh, companies than than in uh, the traditional companies. And you know, it is always good to have some working hypothesis, but. Uh, Sometimes it is good to check it back uh, with the reality <laughs> that um, whether you were right or not, and and that that was my my reason behind that. Mm -hmm. That's why I initiated this um, this survey. Mm, beautiful, and I'm glad you followed your curiosity on that, even though you had your assumptions and you knew what you knew. The the ability to just inquire and explore is amazing. Peter, you got mentioned quite a bit there, so over to you. So in this research project, we were responsible for the survey. It's uh, the mm -hmm. network analysis survey and uh, for the benchmarks as well. We have a benchmarks of uh, uh, data from 40, uh, almost 40,000 employees as uh, seeing their relationships and a pattern of their uh, relationships and networks. And it was amazing uh, opportunity to see the differences between traditional organizations and, and the patterns of uh, self-managing -manage organizations and teams. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and, and I, I was really interested in those hypotheses that uh, Ira mentioned. Mm -hmm. And how about you, James? You've been in this place for a bit of a while now, exploring sociocracy, holacracy, all the good things? What brought you? Yeah. What made um, you well, say, this is it? This is what we need? Well, I didn't, actually. Oh, okay. Imre <laughs> reached out to me, uh -huh. and um, we'd been in touch sort of asynchronously just in, in through LinkedIn and, you know, a kind of loose contact. Mm. And um, he made the proposition that this tool was available and asked me if I could support with making some recommendations for organizations to um, be involved in the survey. So that's not to say that I'm not enthusiastic about the idea of research in terms of impact and effectiveness of pulling in S3 patterns. Um, but this year, that was not on my um, agenda at all. In fact, it was quite full already. So when Imre reached out, I did my best to kind of reach out through the network and see if we could find some organizations that would be interested and willing to put in that time and also benefit, obviously, from the feedback from that analysis. Um, so uh, I think there's quite a long way to go in terms of research around mm -hmm. efficacy. And I, I want to kind of push back a bit on this idea of sociocratic companies, because I I know there's some organizations that refer to themselves as this, but that's really a misnomer when it comes to S3. You have companies and groups of people who pull in certain patterns from S3 to enrich their current approach. Um, so the idea of a sociocratic company, I think, is a bit misleading in that regard. You know, people are endorsed with a myriad of tools and practices that they're using. And S3 is designed as a kind of menu for people to pull from when needed to complement that in some mm -hmm. way. Um, so uh, we can get more into why I think that's relevant for this conversation later, mm -hmm. but um, in the context of these organizations then, all of them are organizations that have you know, been evolving a myriad of ways of handling the 
challenges and opportunities that they face and are pulling in more or less certain patterns from S3 to support them with that. So I was curious, one, about the tool, two, to kind of see concretely how it actually played out in an mm. organizational context and, of course, to understand something about the results as well. So, mm. But Imre was for sure the catalyst in this whole affair. Beautiful. Well, I just wanted to acknowledge something you said, James, because we've had some other conversations about, say, the word agile or until one of the principles being evolutionary purpose and having conversations where people say, oh, I pivot, therefore I'm evolutionary or, oh, yes, I do a stand up, therefore I'm agile. And it's not necessarily that those are the benchmarks. So what were the benchmarks that you used for the study? Imre or Peter, you should really be the ones to answer this <laughs> yeah. question. I see Peter, Peter, you know, you already mentioned that uh, 40,000 employees uh, already. And we should uh, mention one very important thing that the, the majority of the benchmark data is uh, pre-COVID. And, uh, and I think that uh, when, when we took the survey, it, it was a kind of uh, a quite intense period from COVID point of view. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it, it had a, a kind of a negative impact on the, on the results, because when people had to work uh, remotely, totally, then the, the informal structures within the teams are a little bit, uh, how to say, weakened. Mm -hmm. And still, the, the results were, were very good. But, but, but Peter can, can tell a lot about the, the benchmark of the traditional companies, yes. So, for example, one benchmark is about the uh, percentage of isolated members of the mm -hmm. organization, uh, which is about if you are up to 10%, that means that uh, your company or your team will be ineffective in terms of uh, the collaboration network uh, will suffer from uh, the lack of uh, information sharing and so on. And uh, other benchmark is like how many subgroups can be isolated uh, within a team or within an organization based on the network of the collaboration. If there are too many groups, too many subgroups within an organization, that means that the, the workflow will be, uh, will be at risk of uh, just falling apart. If there is an external event, for example, a crisis uh, comes into the life of the organization. And, and there are many, many others. I'm sure. So I'm just going to run with some wild questions. And if they're not feeling comfortable, we can just move along. But my curiosity is looking at that word isolation and that word self-management. And one could say they're almost the same thing to be self-managing, to be self-regulating. You need to isolate and you need to step back. And one could say that it's not. So how does one then move over the statistic of isolated players in this corporate game or this business game or in this um, organization, are they actually self-managing or are they just being left behind in the process? Any ideas? So the question is exploring if there's a distinction between just a kind of radical individualism or where people are just left to their own devices mm -hmm. 
versus some kind of coherent approach for individuals to work together towards a common goal somehow mm-hmm. right yes. and um yeah and i think well i can say something about that there's a lot to say about it i guess we could have a whole conversation just around that but um one kind of misnomer i see regarding self-organization in general as a sort of knee-jerk response to people's perhaps injury around overly hierarchical command and control environments that don't really make sense to, to many people at least and maybe not to the purpose of the organization as well um, then uh, you know it's one tempting proposition is to just kind of let people fly free in the wind um, in tech you see this in some cases with even more detrimental consequences because you have an applicant's market where there's a, lim- a limit to the number of people who have appropriate skills. There's high competition on people with talent somehow. Um, so organizations are trying to bend and accommodate to attract people and retain people. So you often see propositions come work here because it's a fan- fantastic place to work. And the focus is more on you know, the benefits to the individuals than to the purpose of the organization as a whole. That can work okay in an ad hocracy on a small scale, perhaps. But as an organization grows and there's a need to for more coherence around how that system is managed as a whole, then that can lead to problems because you, I mean, on the one hand, you attract people who are attracted to that kind of proposition, right? Mm -hmm. So you can attract people who are to some degree leaning towards individualism Mm -hmm. over the uh, collective interests of the whole as well. Um, but um, secondly, because anyway, as people, we tend to be quite tribal, you know, our, our, the, the, there's a lot of bad talk about silos, but, you know, people working in small closed teams and there are problems with that. But it's also very natural that a mm. group of people would like to just double down and focus on what they're doing without too much interruption from the outside world. Mm-hmm. So the challenge is finding the balance between enabling individuals and groups of people to be as free as possible to create value, while at the same time being able to identify swiftly and respond effectively to dependencies that are unavoidable in the context of the whole. And I think that's really a growing edge because you know, in a, in a management hierarchy, governance and coordination is kind of delegated to the managers. Hmm. But in complexity, there's a growing need for decentralization of power to influence in specific domains of the organization um, to to harness the fuller kind of influence and intelligence of the system yeah and for an organization to be able to respond quickly and effectively to the various changes it faces not just as an organization as a whole but in the various domains that are accounted for by teams and individuals as well and I think this is where a lot of well-intended people have bumped into challenges along the way because they took all the walls down and have sold the the proposition that everybody was now free, but there wasn't anything put in place as an alternative way of managing systems. And, you know, for example, if you lean toward the idea of removing managers, um, which I think makes more or less sense depending on the context, actually, that doesn't remove the need for organizational management. Right. And organizational management can't be done by isolated individuals, you know, who are just all blowing free in the wind. There needs mm-hmm. to be a coherent approach 
um, to deal with those challenges and opportunities that concern the wider organization and the organization as a whole. Yeah, I, I totally agree with, with James. I just would add only one comment that I think working independently and being separated is, is, is two very different things. And it is one thing that I'm working independently. And if there is a need, then I can collaborate very easily with others to achieve uh, some collective purpose. But if you are isolated, then, then it will be very difficult for you to, to make that kind of collaboration. And, and that's why the, the, that kind of separation is, is a problem. But, uh, but it doesn't mean that if you, are, if you are independent, if you are independent, you shouldn't be uh, separated as mm -hmm. well. It, it, is, it is two different sides of the coin. Yeah, my favorite term is interdependence, where you get to be your own sovereign self and you get to be in community. It's really the best of all three yeah. worlds. And if you are separated, then this interdependency is, is just not working because, mm -hmm. because you, are, you are isolated, because you are just uh, cut, cut out from the system. Of course, and there's other psychological problems that come with that. And James, something that you were talking about, it just made me think of like our need for structure and stability, because we are all human in this experience and we do want that structure. We do want to know what's on our plate at any given point in time. We do want to be able to celebrate the end of a task and go, something's done, something's complete. And yet we also want this adaptability and we want we don't want to be stuck in a cubicle kind of a mindset. So given all of that and everything that James has been saying, what is the research and the data and the study that the three of you put together um, been showing? So if you are interested in, in, the, in, the, in the data, so it's very interesting because we were working uh, companies and of course there is, there is a kind of confidentiality issue there. Sure, sure, sure. So what, what we can say in general terms and, and I, I think uh, which are very important findings of this survey that uh, that kind of working hypothesis that in companies applying different social growth, uh, S3 patterns, the, the level of appreciation was higher than in the traditional companies. In both ways that more people were giving appreciate, appreciation to others and more people will, uh, was, uh, were receiving appreciating from, from others. Because I think both part is very important because in traditional companies, unfortunately, we find too many times several people who are not appreciated by the others. And only some people are doing that kind, giving that kind of positive feedback to the colleagues. And, and in these companies, it was a, a very good uh, result and it was very good to see that this kind of level of appreciation was, was quite high and, and, and above the, the benchmark despite the, the, that fact that uh, the survey was done during a, a forced extra remote working environment. Well, actually, I was, I was slightly distracted on a spin-off thought from what you were saying, because I think, so I, I'm just looking at the article on icons.hu for the, um, the results of this analysis, mm -hmm. um, which I guess you can share a, a link to in the notes from this call. But I was also thinking about, so this shows the strengths actually in the article. Mm. And I was also thinking about some of the, let's call them growing edges too. Mm -hmm. I think there, there were some, a few areas where it was below benchmark, 
in some cases in in terms of these particular organizations and and that reminds me of one of the kind of limitations i personally think there was with this type of analysis in terms of assessing like the value of s3 patterns and i think that's that comes down to the fact that you know we say that you want to look to S3 when your current approach fails to bring about the results you would expect or wish to see. Mm -hmm. um, and so a good kind of measure or metric to consider efficacy of patterns is against the need that they were pulled in to address. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about appreciation. I was thinking about communication, about support and so on and so forth. All of these, whilst they're, they're aspirational and we can intuitively and perhaps experientially connect with why they're a good idea on some level in the context of the organization itself they're all a means to an end right and so what i'm missing in this analysis somewhat is the end that was being sought through the interventions that people were making with the help of s3 patterns somehow um so I just wanted to add that as an aside, just to get it out, because I'd mm, be remiss sure. of me not to mention it during during the call. And, and I think that's so fundamental to the kind of philosophy of S3. Mm. It's like, if what you're doing is good enough, then leave it at that. And how do we know if what we're doing is good enough? We want to regularly review the work we're doing, the decisions that we're making, the performance that people are kind of contributing in the organization, both individually and as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, looking at appreciations, not just of people, but appreciations of uh, decisions, of uh, products, of, you know, just the general outcomes that are achieved against the needs that originally motivated those actions, decisions, products, and so on, to begin with, is a, is a good idea. Um, so appreciation, I think, is fundamental. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are often problem oriented it's easy to look at what the problems are what didn't work out so well and i think we're hardwired to do that because of course we need to notice the problems to improve our chances of survival tomorrow yeah. but at the same time paying some attention to appreciation as well also helps to amplify those things we're doing well and, and can continue doing it helps to bring recognition to each individual and team and department and so on's contribution to the whole to products and services and so on and helps to provide contrast against which to also look at areas where we could improve as well. And that kind of brings me full circle back to the beginning, why I think also this study is interesting to look at the areas for improvement mm. and, and to ask, well, why would that be useful? Because I think that will lead people to a very kind of focused insight into the actual needs, the context specific needs that they're facing right now, that their current approach fails to respond to well. Yeah, I, I think, again, you are absolutely right. So what we can say that those findings that the level of appreciation is, is higher and the know transfer is higher and the information sharing is better, it means that there is a better background for the organization, which, which provides more opportunity for growing, provides more opportunity for developing and getting better and better. And, and of course, when we made this analysis, we could identify certain areas where, 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 where those companies can, um, can develop or, or grow. And, and it was good that we, can, we could identify these uh, 
these actions with the people because what is happening that these are um, self-managing organizations so we were not presenting the the results only the the ceo who could keep uh, in secret what were the, the findings but but what we were doing that we were just showing the results uh, to the people and ask them to interpret together to understand together and they were able to to to, to find out some um, actions which can improve the, the, the way of working of the organization. So it was, very, again, it's a very nice example that how a collective can make decision about their operation and how, can they, how, how they can find a better way of working uh, forward. So for me, it was, that, that experience was, was very good as well. That sometimes, because the, the different size of the the um, the organization, sometimes I made a presentation to let's say fourteen people, and we had a very interesting uh, debate on 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 the results and uh, finding out uh, how they can move forward. Once I presented the results to forty uh, around forty people or something like that, and again all the people were involved and they were very happy that they could see these results and they were invited uh, to speak about the results. So, so it, it was good that as we handled the, the, the results of the survey, it, it was a kind of, uh, as, as a very, very hard to say, very similar way, I, I sociocratic pattern uh, would suggest to, to, to work with the results. And, and, and that, that part was very, very um, uh, motivating for me as well. Beautiful. And, and it can be a kind of self-developing process. So for example, mm -hmm. if you heard about the huge horn effect, if you measure something, it will develop because it grabs the attention of the people involved mm -hmm. to this particular aspect of work. And uh, if you ju not just measure, but even talk about and even think about those issues, uh, that you have measured, then it will grab more and more attention and energy to those issues that you want to solve. And that's that's very interesting. And even in case of network analysis and the network of people, it, it can be much more interesting because uh, uh, there are no such other uh, tools or uh, approaches that can grab the uh, collaboration and information sharing uh, aspects of, of the work. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting in, in such self-organizing teams. Yeah, there's yeah, so I much just... beauty in, uh, in the awareness because with the awareness, then there flows energy if we want to get really metaphysical about it. But it also kind of changes it's the conversation from it being a snapshot of what's happening rather than an award or an end conclusion. Like you've done it, that's it. Growth stops here. You get your little emblem on your shoulder and pat on your back and you're done for life. And just one more comment, what Peter said that uh, I had a client when I used this network analysis already five times. <laughs> and uh, it is a very interesting to see the how the, uh, this informal structure of the company uh, was changing uh, as, as the time passed. It was a four-year period, and, and 
and there were lots of results, lots of positive changes. And, and of course, for a four-year period, the people were not the same because some of the people were leaving, some new members were coming. So it is, it is not always so easy to, to compare the result of, of a year with the result of, a, of, of the different fund. But mm -hmm. what I'm experiencing that when we are working with a team and, and we would like to make that team much better, much, much, uh, have, have a much life in the team. And, and if, if we work in that, that, that we can see the results by, by this kind of uh, network analysis tool, because people will be much more connected and there will, as, as you see the maps, you will see much more life in, in those maps. And I think it is always a, a great pleasure when you can see such a development. So it's interesting that, you know, these maps, these points and lines, they're not just maps because when I work with my client, I, I see people and I see the real connections amongst those people. And, and those maps are a bit full of life. And, and that, that was a little bit a challenge for me uh, for this survey because I was working with people who I do not know. And it, it needs some extra effort for me to try to understand what is happening because usually I'm using this tool with those people who, who I know, I, I love, and we work together. And there is a, a high level of trust. And, and, and then again, these maps are not just uh, points and lines. I, I can see much more. They're a living organism, aren't they? Yeah. Changing and just moving around in their own way. James, you were going to say something a little earlier. Uh, yeah, it's long gone, actually. It's long but gone. I, I did have a, quest a question for you, Peter, or Imre, um, whether you have any benchmarks concerning conflicts. Now, I remember there was like six, there were six or 12 questions, depending on the, the um, survey approach. But um, now there's a lot of conflict adversity in organizations. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a mistake. I, I'm sympathetic to why. But at the end of the day, we need to, it was, it was on the other side of appreciation, right? Because we can appreciate one another in a congruent way, but then we can overly appreciate and use it as a way to kind of dress over the top of the underlying elephants in the room. I don't know if this will have video or just audio, but there's a picture behind me with <laughs> elephants, <laughs> which, uh, you know, the elephants in the room, because there are usually several that mm -hmm. even ourselves are not necessarily conscious of. Um, so I was, I was curious about that, you know, people's level of comfort to raise objection which is obviously a key concept in S3, um, and kind of moving from conflict diversity or avoidance to conflict transformation as a means for getting smarter, making more sense of things, more meaning of things, and better decisions overall. Do you have anything in there around that? And or if not, what are your thoughts on the possibility of adding this in at some point? So the survey itself does not contain such a question. Do you have any conflict with others or with whom do you have any conflict? So there is no such a question in the survey, mm -hmm. uh, but indirectly we can uh, somehow uh, can see or can predict possible conflicts between members. Mm -hmm. So for example, if, if there are two members who have to work or who work, uh, work closely together, but there is no any useful information sharing between those members. That means that, okay, we have to work together, but we don't share in, uh, valuable info with each other. 
that means we have somehow at some level a conflict between us uh, probably because uh, we don't want to share the knowledge we have to the other uh, with the other because uh, we are afraid of he will he or she will take our job mm-hmm. and and other things like that so but all in all uh, we don't know we don't uh, measure conflicts actually in this survey yeah and uh, we can set just hypotheses what yeah. are behind if there is a, a kind of uh, lack of relationships between people yeah okay i think my question rather than is there conflict i mean because that's a difficult question because people might or might not be prepared to acknowledge that but i think Mm -hmm. the the area i'm interested in is the degree to which people feel comfortable to disagree Mm -hmm. and with whom and in terms of a network you know disagreement between people is fundamental to sense making you know um so uh yeah this is where my my question lay anyway so what, what I am doing that uh, using this network analysis and, and of course using some other uh, tools as well. The, for example, um, it, it is very, very good when we have a kind of network analysis then to speak about, for example, the model of Lencioni, the five dysfunctions of the teams. And, and you know, the, the first is the trust and the second, second is whether we are, we are, it is comfortable to, to, to share different ideas and, and have conflicts and solve them constructively. So, so sometimes I just combine it or, or sometimes I'm using uh, personality uh, models, for example, process communication model, and using the maps and putting on the, on the different characters on the map and checking whether, when there are lots of connections that, those connections are very different types of people or very similar types of people. So it is very good that you have a kind of information about the informal structure of a company and you can put lots of other information on, on that map. And, and But it is a very good idea that the, how, how the tool can be uh, developed further that, that can receive that kind of information very easily because that, that would be very interesting if you just can just in, in, input somehow, for example, that kind of uh, report, uh, that kind of results of personality and then checking how, how the different personalities are connecting in, in the map and so on and so on. So um, sometimes I'm I just making that kind of, uh, you know, just having the screenshot of the map and, and putting some other information on, on the maps and then we can, as a kind of, uh, and uh, I do not know which is the theory informatica, what is the, the English word for it, when, when, when you put lots of information to, to this, this kind of networks. Uh, um, okay. Which, Can only think of layering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, one, one aspect, what James mentioned, that uh, uh, with mapping the opinion leader groups within an organization, and uh, seeing who connects who in terms of uh, if I value one other opinion, I will connect him or her more or 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 those groups he or she connect. And uh, with this opinion leader mapping, we can uh, identify different opinion groups, and. Uh, the connection between the opinion groups can be very interesting in terms of uh, what opinion 
do I believe or or uh, I, I think so and and the conflict between conflicts between the opinion groups can be very interesting in terms of what did you say uh, when conflicting opinions and uh, and uh, conf being comfortable with arguing and so on mm. because mm. within your opinion group, probably you will not argue with others because uh, people tend to agree with others and share the basic opinion with others, with the close ones at least, close connections. But if there are two opinion groups and the connection between the, uh, and the within the information sharing between two opinions, there can be a lot of conflicts, but it doesn't mean they have real conflicts but but uh real uh changing arguments and so on yeah as you know as you were saying that peter i noticed just an uncomfortable feeling coming up about that that conversation of diversity and inclusion and how it's a great idea but sometimes the methodology of it i feel gets corrupted where let's bring in for diversity but then everyone needs to conform to a certain standard so i was just mm -hmm. tracking that uncomfortability in my body and appreciating everything that you were saying in that yeah yeah there's a kind of shadow fundamentalism to these pluralistic <laughs> ideas somehow you know the moment it kind of becomes mm. concrete and divisive then um it's not it's a kind of more pre-rational position the one that's post-rational and more egalitarian and pluralistic and I, I was thinking something about that in terms of when you mentioned the word argue peter and i think this is well this is something that i spend a lot of time doing is encouraging people to learn to argue better um, and to be more rational about things more reasonable about things to test hypotheses you know and to uh, learn from the consequences of our experiences and and so on. And uh, I was thinking about that in the context of Teal, you mentioned at the beginning, mm. Leinon. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of Teal, to be honest, not, not in terms of aspects of it, but just in terms of what it produced, because I think, and this is quite controversial to say maybe, but it encouraged a lot of pontificating intellectuals to claim themselves as being involved and integral <laughs> in consciousness, um, and then kind of standing on high to tell other people what they mm. should do somehow. And I think there's kind of perils in this idea of a sort of linear and a stage development. Um, mm -hmm. The map is not the territory and there's, there's value in it, but I think there's limits somehow as well. But if I think about integral as a concept, at least, it's from one perspective, a point of view that recognizes the inherent value in everything else. Mm -hmm. And that's different to valuing everything equally, yes. right? And, um, and I think this is a kind of confusion sometimes. But in order for us to establish the inherent value in different situations, different things, different opportunities and so on, we need to be able to engage in reasonable discourse with one another. We need to be able to weigh things up according to the evidence that we have. We need to be able to hypothesize and test hypotheses and develop theories and so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, that can only be so effective as people's willingness to acknowledge and put aside their particular ideological points of view sometimes to have mm -hmm. that honored but not to fight to seek to make that the the way somehow and so mm -hmm. you know the world i think clearly is divided certainly in many regions around the world down quite clear ideological lines at this point and i think we can all agree that's probably not going to be a very good idea for our long term it's not a long-term viable option actually 
Um, so we're called to kind of transcend this more binary perspective towards a more both-hand point of view. But in order to do so, we need to be able to have the discipline and the will to create those spaces where various points of view can be received, but not with a view to trying to make them all equal, but rather distilling and synergizing to establish a more true understanding of the world tomorrow, perhaps, than the one that we have today. And as you say all of that, it makes me think of what are the new questions that we ask? Because there's so many, there's so many great modeling techniques out there where we can pull from this model and pull from that model. And they all are inherently, they all have value. We all use them on, on some level. But the, there's a new unfoldment. There's a new increment happening. And there's a whole new language to it. Or maybe it's the same language, but it's different questions. So it's going to be interesting to see what do we measure and what do we ask going forward in the future mm -hmm. as we develop yeah. these movements, these transitions, the S3, to really embody that. Yeah. And are we willing to talk about what we find, both those things we appreciate and those areas where we see there's potential problems or ways in which we can improve? And that's mm -hmm. what I appreciate so much about this particular tool, Peter and Imre and I remember in the beginning, Imre, when you spoke to me and I asked, well, how kind of accurate is it if you look back historically? And you said, well, 85% of people, I think approximately, said that, you know, agreed with the findings that the, the surveys revealed. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember you saying at the time, just as you said in the call today, the most powerful element of it is the conversations that then follow from that. Because like you said, Lena, awareness is a precursor to consciousness and change. Um, and so this is a really great way to start and bring shine the light into places that might otherwise remain more unconscious. And maybe on that note, as we start wrapping up, because I could carry on, but I know you're all busy bees and have incredible work to do. What is something we want to shine a light on as we step out of this call as a way of checking out? I'm just sitting with a growing appreciation for being in this space with every single one of you, hearing all these views and finding more of myself in the process and hearing more of you in the process. I think for me, it will be really very interesting that uh, we are speaking about new models, new way of working, uh, I mean, working companies and, and that, that sort of uh, stuff. And, and I'm always interested in that, okay, that these are the words and, and how we can just see that, what is the real difference? Is there any real difference between the different movements? Or we are just using very nice words and we are we positioned on, on the market very well, but that is basically the same product and, and not creating any difference. And that's why I'm very much interested in try to try to check what is happening in the in the very different way of uh, organizing companies, because if you can just identify that there is a substantial difference difference, which can create a, a better awareness, a better working environment, more positive feelings, or and more business results, and sustainability, and so on and so on, then. Okay, then, then the movement is, is, is providing something extra to the community. If it is just marketing it, and if it, it is just some words and there are no real 
changes generated by that movement, then, then it is wrong. Or what uh, Prim said, uh, James said, you, you said, if I understood better, some of the, the movements just positioning certain people that we are right and all the others are wrong. And I don't like that those kinds of approaches because I also to sure that I have some rights and, and, and all the others are, are right in, in, in different topics. So that kind of I am right and others are not right, it, it is not good for me. But uh, to understand what is happening, it is very important for me. And that's why I would be very interested to, that, to do this kind of reports, understanding the informal structures, checking whether they are developing or not developing, or perhaps uh, developing a tool as a geographic information system where we just put a lot of other information on the, on the geographical location and using that kind of uh, to this network analysis that we have the networks of the people and if we put some other information then perhaps we can have a much better understanding what is really happening in that particular unit so I have that kind of ideas in, in my mind so that's why I would like to keep continue to finding uh, other companies and, and checking what is happening or, or check back these these companies who were participating in this survey in some months that uh, what happened uh, because we discussed several uh, things but that there is an improvement on that it can be very good for them if they can just see that we had some uh, goals and we could achieve them so th th this this would be my mm. my my how to say the closing uh, thoughts mm, beautiful yes please do that how about you peter I, I I think I agree with uh, Imra, and uh, I I would like to say the same. So uh, yeah, I'm very interested in different forms of organizations and collaboration, and uh, how it works in reality and in in networks in terms of networks, and uh, yeah, that's that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. James. Um, well, I wasn't quite sure how to answer the question, but a couple of things that stand out for me. One is, and this is this is a, bang, a drum I bang all the time, is like always starting with, we say in S3, the driver, it's like starting with situations that matter for some reason in the context that you're in and um, being aware of complexity and the fact that we need each other to be able to navigate complexity well. Um, and in order for us to do that as well, we need to be able to make sense of things. We need to be able to establish meaning so far as we're able. Um, we need to be able to make and evolve agreements that are fit for purpose. And if, when they're not, to be able to identify that first and evolve them as we learn. Um, and all of this really does hinge on people's willingness to take responsibility for themselves and to bring the fullness of their experience, their perspective and ideas, but also to learn how to bring that alongside others in a more sort of synergistic way. So more nuanced conversations, high resolution inquiries, um, seeking to establish a more multi-dimensional point of view. These kinds of things I think aren't just a nice idea these days. I think they're quite essential actually for people, not just in organizations, but for us as a species as a whole. Mm, beautiful and as you said that like I just noticed myself going oh I want to embody all of those and just explore and just be willing to play with them and and not necessarily get them right but just see them for what they are thank you so much
for your time. Thank you, Lena. And, yes. and again, thank you, James and Peter, for, for supporting this survey because it was uh, great fun. And I think it was very interesting for the clients. And of course, BidIQ, it couldn't have happened. So, so again, thank, thank you for your support. Well, thank you, Imre, but it has to be said that you did most of the work. So much appreciation <laughs> to you yeah. as well. Okay, thank you. Okay, Thanks. thank you. Bye. So there you have it. There's no more room at the edge of maybe. Maybes have been taken up and scrapped off the list because we're not just in business to create products or services. You're in business to create openings, shape connections and establish engagement. And this is your exact chance to find your opening, to take a step in, to get bold, to get daring, and to have that presence to follow your bliss, to follow that uniqueness that you bring into the world and let the world know, to step into the new class of emerging and share your genius. This has been Lena Ski for the Supernova Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation or you want to find out more, head on over to my personal site, which is lenaski.com. Or if you're ready to get a little bit more moonshot, if you're ready to get a whole lot more magnetic, exponential, evolutionary, and intuitively design the business, the products, the services, and the talents that you are here to deliver to this world, you're going to love theglobalmovementsummit.com. See you there.